it's time for Rod and Real Radio with your hosts, Hop Along John Cassidy, fresh and saltwater expert angler Stan Vanderberg, and all-around outdoors fishing and hunting enthusiast Wendy Toshihara. If you love the outdoors, enjoy salt or freshwater fishing, this is the show for you. Rod and Real Radio brought to you by El Cajon Ford at Broadway and Main or online at ElCajonFord.com. Whether it's time for a new or used car or truck or you need to take advantage of San Diego's best quick lane for service with genuine Ford parts, brand name tires at competitive prices, remember nobody beats El Cajon Ford. We have some fantastic guests and reports lined up for you this evening, so sit back, relax, and get ready for the fastest two hours in radio. It's all right here, right now, on Rod and Real Radio, the best stop on your radio. Radio dial for all the information you need for fishing opportunities all over the United States. Now here's your host, Hop Along, John Cassidy. And thank you, Mark Larson. Welcome, everyone, to another Sunday edition of Rod and Reel Radio. I am your underfished host, Hop Along, John Cassidy. Stan, Wendy, and I want to greet you tonight, and it is a pleasure that you choose us to come and hang with. Hey, we've got a great show lined up for you tonight. Now, we are not in the studios, so these are recorded interviews, but it is a fantastic lineup of guests. We've got swim bait experts, Bill Semitel, and then also Butch Brown. They're going to be talking about techniques and things that they are doing in the industry. Captain Frank Ersetti from H&M Landing is going to be with us with an update on what's happening at the landings. George Kramer, contributor to Western Outdoor News and writer, he's going to be with us. And then also, we're going to do a replay of an interview that we first aired on New Year's Day with Mr. Jimmy Houston himself. Had a lot of requests from people to play that interview again. You're going to hear that tonight. So we ask you to sit back, relax, get that bowl of snacks, put it next to you, your favorite beverage, Put your legs up in the chair and stay tuned for two hours of great interviews with Rod and Reel Radio. We'll be back at the end of the show. Okay, we're here at the Angler's Marine Show in Anaheim. Uh, just loaded with all kinds of uh, great gear. A lot of great people you can talk to, get a lot of information. Just ran into one of the friends of Rod and Reel Radio that uh, we always like to hear from what he's getting to, Mr. Bill Semitel. Bill, how you doing, guy? John, I am doing really good, buddy. How are you? Uh, I am doing great, but I've got to tell you, all the BBZ swim baits, uh, the 8-inch, the 6-inch, the 4-inchers, uh, great success with that. Then you came on out with the BBZ Rat, the uh, the 50, the 40, 30. Right. Great reception on that, uh, you know. What's happening in that uh, regard? Uh, how are those products going for you? They're uh, they're they're going really well. Uh, surprisingly, and we you know we brought out the six inch saltwater series you know just recently oh, yeah. last year too. So um, it's interesting in, in fishing. You know you have ups and downs in product and people using it in different lakes and stuff. And it's really cool to start seeing a lot of the people are using six inch again. Um, the eight inch is coming around. We're getting in the time where they're planting trout. So that's. I'm seeing that being tied on in a lot of the lakes that are getting trout stocks already, like Pyramid Castake. I know a bunch of the San Diego lakes, you know, I'm getting guys sending me photos of, they're trying to keep it secret, but they're already catching big fish on the 8-inch again. And then, like you said, it goes all the way down to the fat fly. You know, I got guys right now catching big fish at Diamond Valley 
on the little fat fly. So it, it's just it's all over the place, and it's cool. Bill, a lot of people aren't familiar with that flat fly. Tell us a little bit about it. We've got them in the store, oh. and we you know the guys use them everything from uh, fishing bass underneath a bobber or or uh, a brim but also fishing in the bay for bonefish and everything. I yeah. mean, really a versatile type of lure. Tell us about it, it. it. It truly is. You know, way back in the day, my dad showed me how to tie little crappie jigs, you know, you know, when I was born, and my dad was doing it back in the 50s. And it's something I always uh, kind of fell back on when I needed to catch a fish. So the Spro, you know, we came out with it. Gosh, the fat fly has probably been around for about eight years or so now. And it is truly one of the most versatile baits it's hard for people to concept because it's such a small bait, you know, in the 16th and 8th ounce size. But when those fish are chewing on the small stuff, like we're getting into the fall bite, there's a bunch of big fish out there chasing little bait. And you'll right. see, and that's what we, we came out with the 2.5, the, the small swim bait. That fat fly is like super, you know, the 2.5 on steroids. You know, 4-pound test line, 5-pound test line, Maxima, um, a trout rod. And you can throw that out, and it's so versatile because you could burn it across the surface and catch boiling fish on it. You can put it under a bobber, like you said, catch suspending fish. You can just throw a flat line, and you can fish that thing from zero to 50 foot of water. And like I said, the amount of money I've won on it and the big fish I've caught on a fat fly all the years I've, I've done it would actually just surprise most people, except the guys that are using it. I mean, it is probably one of the most sought-after go-to baits at Havasu at Lake Mead, on the desert lakes. I mean, guys are fishing FLW, BASS, tournaments, team tournaments here in all the regions. There's a group of guys out there who are trying to keep it secret and close to the cuff. They probably don't even like me saying that about that. But, um, yeah, and it, you know, like I said, if you're trout fishing, bluegill fishing, crappie fishing, you know, it works for that too. Well, not only that, working with Spro and Gamakatsu and combined, not only do you have a quality product, but the colors and oh. the lifelike uh, designs uh, of that bait are, are just incredible. Yeah, that that went way back. There's a guy I worked with that Spro back in the day. We both know him, Tim Norman yeah. and Michael Murphy. And when they said, "Hey, what are you you know what are you doing?" and I said, "Hey, I, I want to come out with a fat fly." And when they saw my color designs, I want the gray ghost. I want a baby bass. I want a chartreuse. I want you know uh, the blue back. And when they saw, and I had the hair, I was tying flies. And then when I tied them and showed them what I wanted, they sat there and looked at me and they're going. Okay, you have a little OCD, buddy. You know, you're a little bit, you know, particular in what you want. And I go, absolutely. And then when we built it, they, they were going, we know why now. And that's the beauty of what's pro, you know, even to this day with Sid, you know, Kataro and Anna Marie, is they're letting the pros build baits that work and have confidence, and they're not giving you, you know, any type of restraints. You know, if this is the color you want and this is how we need to build it, we're going to do it. And this, we're going to use the best quality hooks. We're going to use Gamagatsu. We're going to have the, the lead a certain way. We're going to have it painted a certain way. We're going to have it tied a certain way. And what that actually, you know, amounts to is you got a great product at a great price, but you have a product that works. You can pull it out and you can catch fish on it. I agree, though, but it's sort of like a blending of old type of technology with it's one of the few like hair jigs that you find i don't want to call it a hair jig but it it's close to a hair jig it is get. how how does that uh the hair jig work uh, in comparison to let's say a living rubber or the old frog hair or whatever it is uh, what's the difference well, in that, the two that's the beauty old school when we first started doing it was marabou and marabou had a a, a a wet feather you know so when it pulsates it gets in the water kind of pulsates the beauty of doing a doll hair, and this is a synthetic doll hair jig, less is more. 
So the beauty of this is when you tie a jig right, which we do on Spro, it, it almost has a translucent, look-through, balanced system. It, it, it flows and it breathes with as least amount of movement as possible. Now, say you do something with um, the old bucktail jigs, you know, the hair jigs and stuff. They're very buoyant. They float and they, they position themselves in the water a certain way, and they don't pulse at it as much. That's why hair jigs are really good for bottom baits. But if you want something suspended under a bobber and you, you have a breath of wind or a fish comes up and eyeballs it and the thing starts wiggling, oh, yeah. that's the beauty of a finely tied doll hair concept. And, and that's what we bring into that, that spro. So it doesn't matter, like I said, if you're working across the surface or crawling across the bottom. It's almost the less you do to it, the more it comes alive. And the fish, dig, I mean, it's that translucent, has the right color, has the right shape. It's balanced, you know, and that's a big thing on the doll hairs too, on the fat flies. If you tie it and suspend it underneath the boat or a bobber, it sits horizontally like a lifelike bait. The ass doesn't sit up or the ass doesn't sit down. It's, it's horizontal. So there's so much into it, but the guys who really know jigs, you know, you, living rubber is one thing, and, and it's great. Old school square rubber, no. you know, if you could find it. I still have spools of yeah. it at home that I'll never let go. Um, you, you can't build beat the square jig but the square rubber but it's a bulky it, it affects the drop rate of lead it, you know there's other things we used to do it with the big pork the daddy o's you know the the you know uh um uh, uh, josh you know the picking jigs and stuff but that's a different concept for the small micro jigs that eighth ounce to 16th ounce you, you cannot get anything to come alive other than doll hair and that's why they they just work so well Right. Now, uh, people are looking for it in their shops. they got to realize that it's called the Flats Flies, but it, it isn't spelt F-L-A-T. It's no, spelt Fat Fly, P-H-A-T. Yeah. It's like fat is where it's at, baby. <laughs> hey, let's get on just quickly. Uh, uh, the BBZ Rats, tremendous reception. What a, oh. a great uh, fish-catching lure that is. But, you know, we can talk about all the applications for that particular lure, but... Being down in San Diego, where we do a lot of inshore fishing, I it never surprises me the guys that are coming in and using that lure, fishing at saltwater in the bay. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, the corvina, surprisingly, halibut will eat it very well on light line. Um, you got the sand bass, calico. So anything in the bays, you know, the Johnny bass. Basically, it's a bait fish. That's all it is. It's just it's just a bait fish on steroids. So. It doesn't matter if you're freshwater, saltwater, streams, lakes, rivers, you know, impoundments. Um, it's to that point where there's certain times in any fish's life, and it's just like us. Sometimes we want a big steak, like a big bait, and there's a lot of times we just want to grab a handful of M&Ms. And, you know, you just you get locked in that small stuff. And there are certain times of year when that smaller bait comes in, the small pinheads, you know, the little noceums in our lakes. Um, the, the baby fry, you know, the bass fry, sure. which we have the bass, you know, bluegill. When when there's that much bait and those fish are targeting that smaller bait or it gets really cold or it's post-frontal, the bite's tough, that's where I downsize. And the, the downsize with that jig, surprisingly, it doesn't eliminate the monsters. I mean, I've caught fish up to 18 pounds on it, largemouth bass. I can't tell you how many fish over 10 I've caught on it. I can't tell you how many hundreds of thousands of fish from 5 pounds and bigger on that fat fly, you know, that, that style. So um, it's something that's like, it's, it, it kind of, it's weird. you got this pendulum, this paradigm shift. 
you got guys that are afraid to throw really, really big baits because they say, oh, you're not going to catch a lot of fish on it and it's not going to work. And then you have people that are really afraid to throw the really small baits. Yeah. And that small bait has just as much power and influence to targeting not just keeper fish but big fish as a big bait does in certain times of year. Well, talk about the small baits, too, Getting uh, uh, talking about the BBZ rat. The nice thing about the uh, the 30 and the 40 size, you get people, they want to throw a swim bait, they want to throw a larger bait, but, you know, they don't have the setup for a swim bait rod or anything else like that. But with that 30 and 40 size, you can use your medium heavy, your heavy action rod, your 7-foot, and you can go out there and you can fish like a big bait, but it's still a small bait. Absolutely. It has the presence of a big bait. It has great sound, great water commotion, the great look and stuff. And that's the beauty of a good topwater bait is sometimes it doesn't have to be super, super big to create the illusion of big. And you hit it right on the mark. And I think that's why some of our cells are just astronomical in the size 40 and 30 because guys can go out there and throw it on a spinning rod to a worm rod. I mean, it, they have the, the equipment right in their boat. They can just tie it on. If you know how to crankbait with a, you know, a Spro, a Little John, you're going to say, okay, I'm going to try topwater. You could put on a, a Rat 40 or a Rat 30 on it, no problem. Well, I know in our back bays, too, now, especially uh, since they're cooling off, the fish are going back into those back bays because it's oh, more yeah. comfortable for them. You know, you're only fishing in uh, 10 feet of water. The water's normally fairly clear back there. Man, that Rat is really doing a job on them. I actually had quite a few quite a few people already come up and they go hey when do you throw top water and i go you're not throwing it right now because right just like you said clear water bait movement fish movement they're chewing if you see a fish bust on a boiler you can catch a ratfish if you know if you're fishing zero to ten foot of water and you have good commotion you got the good action good sound it doesn't matter if it's winter time i don't care if the water temperature is 30 degrees 40 degrees if those fish are up there looking you'll pull fish up and i mean we're catching there's a rat bite going on just right now. I'm not saying I'm not telling you where, but there's a rat bite going on right now, and I will have one tied on all the way to January, February, especially if they're planting trout for stripers and bass, because that knock will drive them crazy, and they'll come up and they'll they'll look at it and they'll take a lick of it. So, well, some people don't believe color makes a difference, but uh, the uh, spur rats come in some amazing colors. Right. But you got to have your own favorite. Uh, do you have a favorite there? Everybody laughs, but I have the morning dawn. I know everybody laughs, and I have gone and done fishing shows with uh, Charlie Ingram where he laughed at me so bad and called me a sissy, and a, I wore a, a tutu, and, and I was from Hollywood, and you know all these really racial things. No, no. And I laughed at him, and before the end of the show, he was asking me for another one in that same color because I think I put a whooping on his ass. Um, beep. Um, but the beauty on, on topwater baits, if you look at all the baits, they're beautifully aesthetically, you know, the browns, the grays, the chromes, and everything else. Um, besides the chrome, most of them have a white belly. There is a trick to my madness for, for colors, and usually when a fish looks up at something underneath, you know, underneath it, it doesn't matter if it's a snake. Snakes usually have white bellies. Rats usually have white bellies. Bass usually have, trout have white bellies. So there's, there's some evilness on my paint jobs, but... There is, there is that hues on the side to clear the water when fish come out at angle, especially skinnier water. The skinnier the water you fish a top water, the more the side profile affects it because now they're looking at a bait differently. Yeah. So I like the, the, the morning dawn because of the blues and pinks and stuff. If you ever go into water and film, which I have, um, it, it, it just throws this really beautiful illusion color to it, and you could see it. And the biggest thing on top water baits 
the better you can see a bait to know how to work at clear water dirty water from night to day where you know where to stop it walk the dog wake it dead stick it all that stuff buy good structure and cover elements when you combine that with a bait that that has the calling factor as a bbz's rat you're going to catch bigger fish well here's the thing about that lure too a lot of other lures you take them out of the box uh, you throw it uh, you got to tweak it you got to twist it you got to do something to it it ain't running right that spro rat, when it comes out of the box, it's ready to fish. Uh, give us some recommendations on the type of action that you like to take out of it besides just cast and retrieve. Right. And you bring up a big thing. A lot of, a lot of baits, you gotta, you got to mess with them. These baits are ready out of the box. Guys, if you're fishing the rat 30, 40, 50, the, the first thing is, is you want to have matched gear. You want to have gear that's balanced. So... On the bigger rat, you know, I'm throwing a Daiwa 741. You know, it's, it's a mid-range, like a flipping or a heavy jig rod. But no matter what your what equipment you're using, just match the equipment to the rat you're throwing. The rat 50, flipping stick style stuff. You could use a big bait, you know, a big bait rod. Minimum 50-pound braid. I'm using maximum 50-pound braid or 18 mono or fluorocarbon, minimum. When you look at the rat 40, think of a crankbait rod. A standard crankbait rod, guys. I mean, 12-pound test line, mono, you know, a, a nice 6-to-1 uh, reel or, or higher. It doesn't matter. And that's that. And then the, the Rat 30, you could do a bait caster for a crankbait or a spinning rod. But when you pull it out, find the right equipment. And here's the trick on how to use this thing. Throw it out by somewhere where you think a fish is going to be at. A bush, a rock, a wall, a hump, or over grass. Let it hit. Let the rings disappear and bring it in nice and steady. The beauty of this bait is the more consistent in in the retrieve, that steady, constant thump, the knock. When you hear that knock and that gurgle and that wiggle across the water and you keep that standard, you're going to catch more fish doing that than anything else. Start with a steady retrieve and then let the fish dictate. You get fish that come up and follow it and then go back down. See where they come up and go back down. Your next cast wiggle it over it, stop it right where they're coming up, then walk the dog in one place. You know, what What has happened is with all the uh, the work that you've done in lures and all your life, you have taken it and designed this thing, actually, so that the fisherman doesn't have to do a whole lot. The lure does the work for you. Yeah, you don't have to do a lot of thinking. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that, that thing is you... Throw it out and reel it in nice and steady, and you're going to catch some fish. Hey, quickly, we need to congratulate you because you've had one heck of a season uh, fishing this year. You've got a couple of anglers of the year. Congratulations on that. You've gone out. Not only have you had time to design lures, to go out and sell them, do shows, do your regular job and everything else like that, but you're also out there fishing, and you're doing well. You've, yeah. you've had some great finishes. Yeah, uh, this year we took uh, my partner Derek Stewart and I fished ABA. Um, we took Angler of the Year, tied it up there at uh, the Pyramid region, and then a good friend of mine, Tim Tuttle, and myself for National Bass. So I'm just not fishing one lake. We're fishing multiple lakes. Um, we're fishing all time of the year, and like I said, besides being a fireman, working with Spro, trying to design baits, uh, doing extra secret stuff. You know, there's more stuff maybe coming out with Spro soon. Well, I can't tell you a oh, lot. Oh, but come on. you got to give us a hint. I know you're not letting any moss grow on your no, north side over no, here during my, the- there is, This rock does not stand still. Um, we might be coming out with some stuff. We might, we might work on some colors. We might work on some new designs. Um, I can't really let anything out right now, but um, I would stay tuned. There's, some, there's something kind of cool coming on that part with Spro. And then, uh, like I said, we're, we're back fish, fishing tournaments already. We fished two uh, TUCs, 
and now we're, we're back fishing the, the series for this next year 2017 and and i got to see if i have enough time without doing forgetting my honeydews you know because i got i got to still do the honeydews all right well bill simitel i i can't tell you how much i appreciate you taking some time off here for the show you got a lot of people here lined up to speak to you um if people want to get a hold of you, want to find out more information what you're doing, you, you're out there a lot so that people can uh, gain access to what you're thinking, what you're Absolutely. doing, some of your design work, questions, and everything like that. How's the best way to stay in contact with the, you? The biggest thing is we still have a lot of people come over the, the website, thebbz.com. Um, you can always get a hold of me at bill at thebbz.com. And like I said, every time I get a chance to do a video or do articles or content, we have some guys writing for the site. And we're, we're trying to give back to the fishermen to, to go out there and catch more fish. And, and I'm always there. I mean, anybody who, ever, who has ever emailed me or called me or something like that, I've always had time to at least answer them. So um, I make time for the fishermen to get them out on the water and catch some fish. All right, Bill. Thank you for being with us. Going to let you get back to your duties here at the show. Good luck to you. And maybe around ICAST time in July or something like that, uh, we're going to get a hint of some of the things you've been uh, cooking up? Yeah, maybe. All maybe. Right. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't show my hand yet, but All yeah, right. there's a lot of stuff going on. All right. We look forward to talking to you later, Bill. Thanks a lot for spending the time with us. You got it. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect. Finally, a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main at El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is un equaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, H&M Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. 2015 and 16, Quantum Fishing's gone and done it again for you with the brand new redesigned Smoke PT Reel Series. 
Everything from your spinning reels all the way to your baitcasters. The PTA design has new PTXA frame. Lighter, stronger, bone-crushing drag. Quantum fishing. We are performance-tuned. Check them out at Angler's Arsenal in La Mesa or anglersarsenal.com or give us a call at 619-466-8355. And welcome back to Ron Real Radio, everyone. Well, the storms have passed. We've got good weather ahead of us. And it's time for this segment of Doc Talk brought to you by H&M Landing. And who better to tell us what's happening here on the docks in front of H&M Landing is Captain Frank Orsetti. He is owner-operator of the Ranger 85. Captain Frank, how you doing, sir? Hey, John. Hi. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, hey, thanks for being with us. Well, you know, it seems like we've had a little hiatus in the weather with some, uh, with the fishing, with this weather that has gone through. But uh, even though... There's some light weather that's predicted coming into the next week. I don't think that's any reason to keep anyone from going out and start fishing again. Not at all. It looks like we have actually a pretty darn good weather window ahead. Um, I think there's a little bit of precipitation they're calling for, I think, first of the week. But it looks like we're going to have smooth sailing going into... uh, Going into the weekend and, and days thereafter, so we're very, very excited here at H&M Landing. We've got several boats uh, heading down towards Colinette this weekend. That's been absolutely nice. on fire, so uh, we can't wait for the coming days. Well, that's you know that's a real twofer trip because of the fact not only do you have the opportunity to possibly limit out on Yellowtail, but the rock fishing is still pretty outstanding down there. Oh, it's super good, John. And uh, in fact, if I dare say, we have the corner on the market as far as catching rockfish right now because Southern California is still in a zero retention or a no take through the month of February. And we are fishing across the border in Mexico for, for shallow water and deeper water rockfish. And it's been very, very good. You know, what's also interesting about that bite down there is. Uh, you don't have to dedicate a two-day or two-and-a-half-day trip down there because right now there are day-and-a-half trips running on down there, filling up with fish and coming on back. So if you've got other things you have to do for the weekend or one of the days during the week, you can still budget time to go down there. Absolutely, and that fish is on the perfect cycle. The guys are getting down there, and they're spending uh, most of the morning uh, targeting the game fish, targeting that deeper water yellowtail, and it's been really good. Some guys have ended up with limits of that yellowtail here of late, and then you spend the latter part of the afternoon topping off on that quality rockfish down there, so it's a real win-win trip. Well, talking about win-win trips, even if you can't budget the time, the numbers and the videos and the pictures I've seen coming out of the premiere and the Malahini going on half-day trips and three-quarter-day trips, there's still an exceptional bottom fish uh, bite going on even as we speak. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. San Diego's always been known for its pelagic fisheries, offshore tuna and yellowtail. This time of year, without a doubt, quality deep-water rockfish on our extended half-day trips on the Premier right now have been just knocking it out of the park. It's been light-load fishing and darn near limit-style fishing on each and every trip. Of course, if you want to spend a little bit longer day, the Malahini departs at 5.30 and returning in the afternoon around 5 p.m. makes for a fantastic full day with a rewarding catch of quality rockfish. The guys are going to start sniffing around the island here in coming trips, so we'll see. I think uh, I think Bill and the boys are going to be, or Mike and the guys are going to be, uh, 
fishing the island a little bit this weekend, as well as targeting some of that deeper water fish. Now, you used an interesting term, extended half day. What do you mean by that when it comes to talking about the premiere? Sure. So this time of year, Tim always sets aside his Monday through Fridays for extended half days. So the boat departs at 8 a.m. and gets back at 4 p.m., and they're targeting that deeper water fish. So it's a little bit longer where... Typically, the half day, we leave at 6.30 and again at 1 p.m. It's two trips a day. But Monday through Friday, we have one single trip. We add a little bit more time to it. Now, weekends, the premiere goes back to its regular schedule, 6.30 a.m. and 1 p.m. departure. And they're fishing the coast. And actually, that fishing's been pretty good as well. A little bit of sand bass, a little bit of sculpin. It's been real good. You know, I follow on Facebook some of the lady anglers that are out there and one Lori Heath, she has been going out on the premiere with her uh, 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 her fiance, I believe Ray, and they have just been punishing the fish out there on a the half day. They've been having a great time, and not only that, she's out there more than once a week. She's probably out there two, three times a week, and and just bringing in hauls of fish. No, we're about ready to put Lori on the payroll. She's out here. She's here all the time. It's great, no doubt. No, she's a she's a mainstay. She certainly is a, a waterfront personality here around H and M. Well, I, I like to see the women in fishing, especially that go out on a half day, the three quarter day boats to 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 show the ladies out there that might be a little bit hesitant of going out with their significant other or whatever it is that there's still a place and plenty of room and the hospitality and courtesy. Uh, for women on the boats as there are for uh, the guys. John, it's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting topic because in recent years, I've seen the trend going up in terms of lady anglers here to the sport, without a doubt. And and oftentimes, as they drag their, their SO along or, or someone that, that they might find that's interested in fishing, it seems like sometimes nine times, nine times out of ten, they end up out fishing the boyfriend, the husband, or whomever it is they bring along. So it's real fun to watch that dynamic on board. You know, uh, we're talking about wintertime here, and uh, people might think uh, there's nothing happening here at the docks, or it just might be uh, bottom fishing. But there's a lot more happening. And and the thing that I saw when I was coming in uh, to H&M Landing here, there was a whole big crowd of people out in front. There wasn't one person with a fishing rod in their hands. Uh, what was happening? What was that all about? So one of the biggest things that we have this time of year, of course, is both the south and northbound migration of the Pacific Gray Whale. I'm real proud to say that H&M Landing has one of the most diverse fleets up and down the coast. Our guys don't sit idle all winter long. If it's off season, they turn their sights towards ecotourism, and there's a tremendous demand. Today, when you walked in, we had over 150 students from local schools nice. that we were taking offshore to uh, to observe the southbound migration. That's what we're seeing right now with the Pacific Gray Whale. No, and uh, uh, what are the chances at this particular time of the year of going on out and seeing the whales and possibly other things? So it's a, it, I would say 100%. We're going to see marine wildlife one way or another, but this is a peak, peak time for southbound grays. Um, of course, it's opportunistic. There's no borders or boundaries or fences. Everything is free to come and go as, it ple- as they please. However, um, every one of the operators in our fleet knows knows where traditional migratory paths are 
to uh, ensure the utmost success in a sighting. So right now, most of those uh, kids that you see heading offshore, they're going with Chuck. And we know Chuck has a couple of years' experience out there, uh, right? <laughs> so Around the horn a couple of three times. Right, right. So uh, anyhow, so it's, um, it's, it's very, very high that they're going to see that they're going to see grays today. But even if they didn't see grays, there's such diversity of wildlife that we see offshore here that I guarantee they're going to have a fabulous trip. Not only that, the the vessels that they're going on, they're comfortable. There's a lot of amenities on that. If, if people are worried that, oh, we're going to get seasick or we're going to be too far away from land or whatever it is, I've never been on a, a, a vessel that small, maybe out in the open ocean that... Uh, the boats that, that go out there and go whale watching are comfortable, safe, and uh, you come back with one heck of an experience. Right. We keep it to some of the largest boats in our fleet. So today, they're on the 75-foot Legend. Um, and I, I tell you, there isn't a more comfortable boat in the fleet. And having whale watched up and down the coast here in California, the area that they're going to be uh, targeting today just offshore from Point Loma, Point Loma some of the nicest, most tranquil waters here along our coast. So it's an ideal place to go whale watching. Now, there's a lot of people that are listening, and we talk a lot about recreational lobster hooping, and people go, I don't know how to get into it. I don't have a boat. I don't want to run on out to one of the rocky jetties in the middle of the night. Uh, you know, to just go out once or twice, uh, I, don't want, uh, I, I don't know about what equipment I need or anything like that. But you've got an answer for those people that want to go out recreational hooping, but uh, they are not sure how to go about doing it or they don't have the equipment. Wildly popular and hugely rewarding, <laughs> uh, especially the last few years. Hoopnep trips have gained such traction here in Southern California. We have two boats in our fleet that offer it nightly, both the Jig Strike and the Alicia. We have everything, literally, the angler needs to just show up. And I tell you what, if you can get on board and walk away with seven lobsters, that's a pretty darn good trip, don't you think? Yeah, it's a, it's a great trip. But not only that, it's a really fun, inexpensive way to spend a, a great night. You uh, you know, the boats typically leave, what, 5, 6 o'clock in the evening? Right, we're leaving at 6 o'clock and the boats get back around 11 o'clock, 10, 11 o'clock. And we're targeting those reefs in areas that are inside of San Diego Bay. True. So, again, a super calm night. You have the city lights in the background. It's absolutely, it's absolutely a beautiful and rewarding experience, especially when the bugs are on the crawl. Yeah, and not only that, you go on out there. Uh, uh, there's great food out of the galley. You can have your favorite beverage, whatever you want, because there's some time in between uh, throwing your traps and bringing them back on. And then you always have the crew there to help you out, uh, uh, however much or however little help you need, and they've got the best of gear. Absolutely. So everything is all there on board. Um, we even have some. We'll even have customers that'll come out and bring just a couple guys, and they'll buy the boat out. Now it's it's uh, ten hoops are limited per trip. That's that's per California regulations. So the loads are light, and it's a great great time to spend a few hours on the water. Uh, I know, and it, it's it's really cost effective. I got to tell you, last week was my anniversary. Uh, we went out for a few hours over at Barona, and I can tell you, I much rather would have paid to go on the lobster trip than what I spent at Barona. <laughs> and you probably would have had a better lobster dinner in the end, right? Oh, it would have been great. Hey, what other things are happening here coming up in the dock that we should be paying attention of right now, uh, 
Frank? Well, we've got our eyes set on a couple of events. Of course, um, off the dock. Coming up, of course, uh, in March, we have the Fred Hall shows, both in uh, in Long Beach and in Del Mar. Um, following that, in April, of course, we've got Day at the Docks, one of our biggest um, right. one of our biggest events of the year. And of course, uh, the end of June this year, it'll be the third annual Offshore Jackpot. So we've got um, we've got a few things coming up here at H and M that we're really looking forward to. You know, and this is a good time of the year, even. If you're not planning a trip in the next few weeks or so to come on down here to H&M Landing, come into the office, uh, visit Rick in the tackle shop, uh, visit the people here in reservations, and then actually take a walk down on the dock and see all the boats that we talk about, get information about them, because uh, a lot of times the first time people ever see the boat is the day they're going out on a trip. And, uh, you know, this gives you an idea Come on down now, look at the boats, and, and just get a feeling for what the atmosphere is down here at the boat dock. Absolutely, and that's a good point. And this is a time of year when many of the docks are in, and they're doing their annual maintenance. The crews are there. The captains typically are there. And and you know what? We try and offer an open welcome setting here at H&M, and it's a great time to walk down. If you're looking to go fishing on any one of the boats yourself, or if you're looking to privately charter the boat or a whole boat charter for family or your employees or your company, it's a great time to come down and check out one of the boats and, and do your homework, so to speak, before you do. If the guys are on board, oftentimes they're more than welcoming. They'll let you walk around. If they don't have everything opened up or tore up for routine maintenance, they're they're more than welcome or they're more than uh, happy to, to give you a tour of the boat and and it's a great chance to come down and, and meet the captain and meet some of the crew. Now, uh, just briefly, uh, any reports on what's happening with the Red Rooster and the American Angler uh, a little further down the Baja Peninsula? You know what? I did get a, uh, I actually received a, uh, a uh, private message from one of my personal friends who happens to be on the Rooster. I believe Danny from our tackle shop right. is on the hey, Rooster nice. right now. Okay. Also, but I haven't heard from Danny. Um, but uh, one of my customers has his personal best. I think he had a 150-pound yellowfin, and he had a couple of wahoo. I haven't got the full report from the boat yet, but it looked like the guys were having a good, good trip. As far as samurai or the angler goes, I haven't heard yet, but I kind of keep my ear a little closer to the ground as far as the rooster goes. All right. Well, uh, Frank, to keep uh, updated on what's happening here with the fish counts at uh, uh, H&M Landing, uh, to find out more about what the schedules are for the boats, especially... As we start getting into the uh, late spring, summer uh, season, uh, to book a trip to find out about charters, where's the best place for people to go? There's only one website, one website only to know, and that's hmlanding.com. You can look at our full schedule of open party trips, or if you want, if you have, uh, if you request some information on a private charter, you can click the charter tab, and we'll get right back to you. Or you can give our office a call direct. At 619-222-1144, our staff is always here, ready to answer any questions or help you plan the ultimate offshore adventure. Or if you have a couple of kids or you have a group of people that want to go out on the ecology or the whale watching trips, you can uh, uh, find out how to get involved with that too on the site, can you not? Absolutely. Again, you can give the landing a call at uh, 619-222-1144, or you can click any of the tabs on our website regarding whale watching. We whale watch every single day, twice on weekends, so you don't want to miss out. We'll be whaling through the month of April this year, and it's a great, great time. 
if you just want to spend a few hours on the water with family and friends, it's a great introductory, so to speak, to just uh, to get the rest of the family out if they don't already fish with you. Well, Frank, uh, even though we're in the middle of winter here, uh, great time to come on down to H&M Landing and the, the landings down here and see what's happening. Thanks for uh, updating us with what's happening on the docks. We look forward to speaking to you again next week. Looking forward to it, John. Thanks for having me on. All right, Frank. Thanks for your time. Hey, you're listening to Ron Real Radio. We'll be back with more after these messages. Angler's Arsenal is the serious angler's first choice for hand-poured plastics, McCoy line, Spro products, Gamakatsu hooks, G. Loomis fishing rods, Shimano products, Ovid reels, and just about anything you hear advertised on Rod and Reel Radio. Go to anglersarsenal.com and visit our online tackle store. See the huge selection of Western Plastics hand-poured baits, all at anglersarsenal.com. Angler's Arsenal Tackle Store is conveniently located in La Mesa, just off Interstate 8. Give us a call at 1-800-428-8730. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. This portion of Rod and Reel Radio is brought to you by the Rockley's Fish Release System. Now you can quickly and easily release fish suffering from barotrauma back to the depths they were caught. Look or ask for the Rockley's at your local fishing tackle dealer. Hey again, we're here at the Angler's Marine Show in Anaheim. Uh, this show historically, I think, has been a show where the swim baits have been home to a, a really fine standard, you know, starting you know, 15 years or so ago. Here's one of the guys that's been on the front line of doing it, it's Mr. Butch Brown. Butch, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Hey, tell us just a little bit, you know, swim baits, it didn't happen overnight. Some people do. There's a lot of new fishermen coming in, and they go, man, I can go out and I can catch myself a big fish without, you know, without having to do a lot. You were, though working on this for a long, long time. Tell us a little bit about the progression of the swim bait, if you will. Well, it, the progression started out pretty crude, and, and, and building the confidence to throw the big baits was uh, something to overcome, you know, being a, you know, a jig fisherman and, and throwing the plugs and stuff back in the, the 80s and 90s, you know, growing up. But I found that the swim baits caught the bigger fish. And that's what I like to catch is the biggest bass. I, I like to hold them. I like the memories. I like everything, you know. I can catch a limit of five-pounders, and when I go to dinner, I can talk about it. And the next day, I'm they're out of my mind. But if I catch a ten-pounder, to this day, I can tell you what it ate, how it ate, and how it fought. And I'll never forget those, those moments. So that's why I target them. But it's progressed a lot. And here at the show, I've, I've come out with an old bait that is a new bait and it's been modified for our modern times it was the original optimum and it has a brand new harness in it uh, that makes it sink level or it doesn't sink level but it swims level I see. the coloring is a little bit better uh, they're not straight pores anymore they're hand pores but they're done a little bit more uniquely to make them look more real um, it's a great bait but it's like 
you sometimes you have to go back in history because the fish that we have here today were fish that weren't around back when the swim baits first started. So the generation of fish that we have now have seen all these new baits that we have, the slide swimmers and everything, but they haven't seen the old school stuff. So when you redo the old school and make it more appealing for the day, um, they haven't seen it. So they react to it just like these fish did when they never saw a slide swimmer. And then in my way of thinking, sometimes you need to go back in time to keep up with the times. And that's why this bait is out here, and I've had it for 20 years, and I've always caught fish on it. It's been my go-to bait. It's called the Butch Brown Thumper Tail. It's made by Optimum for me, the original people. And uh, it, the mold has been redone, and we're going to have different sizes. We have a 9-inch size right now. But every place I go right now, I get bit on the bait, and it's rigged my way. And it looks a little different, but I have reasons for the hook I use, and I have a reason for the way that I rig it. It's up to you if you're going to fish striper, or if you don't like my rigging, you're welcome to change that because it, it is not a problem because I use a crimp and a sleeve. Um, but I can't say anything bad about the bait because it uh, it's consistently catching me fish the last couple of years when I got everybody sidetracked to slide swimmers, got everybody sidetracked on Huddleston's. Well, while they're all buying that particular product up, I've already done the damage on that. Now I'm doing the damage on this. Now it's time to share this, and then who knows what I have in the future, but I do have other things. Well, one thing I like about this bait that I've noticed is that when you start talking about fishing a 9, 10-inch bait, you've got a pretty heavy bait. But this bait seems to be a little more streamlined, seems to be a little bit lighter, so it can bring more people back into the fold to fish a swim bait because it, it doesn't look like it's as heavy as a lot of the 9-inch, 8-inch, 9-inch baits on the market. Correct. It throws really good in the wind. Um, it weighs 5 ounces, and it's designed to sink a little bit quicker than what everybody is, is trying to create nowadays. They're trying to create slow sink. You know, subtle sink. This bait is a moderate sink bait. I can get down into 30 feet. I can get down into 20 feet. I can fish it in 10 feet. But I can cover a lot of water. And in this day and age, sometimes you need to cover a lot of water to find what you're looking for. Because if you're fishing something that's really slow, some of the other baits, um, it you cannot fish the amount of area to, 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 to find your fish. You know, this bait gets it done. It's almost like a tournament guy that's just throwing crankbaits to find fish. This is would be that version in the swimbait world. Um, so <clears throat> what's happened is with all your expertise, you've put your design capabilities and uh, all your thought processes into this bait so that instead of the, the fishermen having to do all kinds of gyrations to get the bait to work, this is actually bait that is doing a lot of the work for them. Yes, tie it on, throw it out, let it sink, and give it a moderate retrieve. That's all you have to do. If you think that you're coming across something that's deeper, let it fall a little bit. You know, you need to adjust your 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 presentation according to the terrain that you see or what you've learned on the lake. Um, it's not a painted bait. It's a hand-poured bait. Yeah. They're not Beautiful. all identical, okay, but they're done in modern time kind of pouring. You know, a more artistic kind of pouring. Um, a lot of the hand-painted baits I see look too real. They look a little Disneyland to me. 
this bait here with the way the color blends are and stuff they can be translucent they just they blend in with the water better and i seem to get bit a lot better with them um, oh great so uh, on the baits that you have, are they uh, different rate of falls? You know, fishermen are used to seeing rate of fall zero, five, nine. Uh, tell us uh, about that. This is a rate of fall roughly 12, uh, like a 12, and it's just one size for now. There'll probably be a heavier one later because it's not a bait that's designed to fish right um, below the surface. You know, unless you see a chaser or a striper or something like that, you throw it out on them and you burn it then you can probably get bit on it but it's made to get down there get down there where the fish are or seem to be more at nowadays they 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 seem to be holding on to structures down in 20 25 feet because a lot of our lakes nowadays have striper you know so they they look for they hang to the cover down there they they don't want to get out in that open water you know the little basket eating and stuff like that so they've learned you know to adapt to these these little bit deeper structures and stuff and the bait just 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 pulls them out and if you don't get bit by a bass there then nine chances out of ten you'll get bit by a striper on the way up well great bait hey let me just ask you this is a time of the year when the law guys really start thinking about you know i haven't been throwing a swim bait this is the time to go about and doing it because trout are being planted in our southern california lakes over here People think that this is the best time to do it. You know, there's uh, a lot of argument about that. But for the individual that is thinking about just getting in, tell us a little bit about how you should prepare with regards to uh, the rod, the reel, and maybe even the type of lure you should be throwing. Well, I would always try to match the hatch, you know, as close as you can. Right now, if you're going to fish a trout stock lake, we want to fish a bait that's, that's pretty close to what a trout looks like. You know, and as far as rod, it depends on how heavy the bait is. But, uh, you know, a medium heavy to a, a heavy is, is just fine. Eight foot. I fish only 20-pound line. I fish fluorocarbon straight on. It uh, it doesn't stretch much. It sinks with the bait. keeps me in contact. And when I make long casts, I don't have that stretchiness in the line, so I know I'm going to get the hook in them. As far as the reel, you know, I'm an old school guy i just fish my shimano 400b mm-hmm. i'm not the guy that has all the latest and greatest because what i had put everything on those videos that you guys see and there's no reason for me to change you know the rod doesn't catch the fish the reel doesn't catch the fish the line holds the fish it's pretty much the lure that's going to get the bite you know without the lure you got nothing you know uh how about putting a scent on the swim bait or anything, is that something that you do or that you will, uh, you know, encourage or not really necessary? I do put scent on my baits, and it's pretty much the rubber baits like the Optimum, Osprey, the Huds. Those kind of baits I like scent. When it comes to a slide swimmer, glide bait, uh, wake bait, I don't see any reason for it. And a lot of the petroleum products... That would be on the uh, like a like a 250 will rot that plastic and harden it and then ruin your bait. So I stay away from that. I stay away from um, scents that have uh, color, like crazy color, like a red dye in it or something, because it'll it'll dye the white belly of your of your swim bait. I usually just put it on the back where it's green. Um, the Bass Dynasty is a, is a nice one. The Procure is a nice one. And I only use one scent. 
It's the only scent I've ever used. I have no problems with it, and it's garlic. I don't use trout scent. I don't use any of the others. The only thing you see in my boat is garlic. I've done that from day one, and, and, it, and it works for me. Now, the time of year to go swim bait fishing, uh, Butch, uh, people might think, well, swim baits only work uh, during the trout season when they're planting, especially here in Southern California when they're planting trout. I think uh, you have proven more than anybody else in some of the videos that we see from around the country, you don't necessarily have to be in a trout lake in order to uh, catch fish on a swim bait. That's true. You can fish swim baits anywhere you want and catch fish on them. Um, but the key is to try to adapt to the hatch, what's there, whether it's car, pitch, chat, things like that. Um, just uh, It just uh, doesn't really matter. You know, you can go look at the people back in the Midwest and stuff. A lot of those places don't have trout, and they're doing very well, and they're getting the biggest fish of their lives now. Um, That's true. Uh, a lot has to do, too, the time of the year, the uh, water column that you're fishing in, because uh, obviously uh, bass have a tendency to find different comfort zones during different times of the year. That's true, but I catch them all year long, you know, but you just have to use and adapt to the seasons with what you're fishing. Right now, um, just about everything would work. You know, whether it's a, a, a glide bait, a wake bait, um, you know, in through our fall and winter months. Once it gets into the spring, then I like to stay a little bit up in the upper water column instead of, because uh, the weeds are growing and stuff. So I stay away from the heavy, you know, paddle tail kind of baits and stuff. And I just stick with my glide baits. They, they, they seem to react on it a lot better. And I've, I've, I've documented, you know, hundreds of hours of fishing without a bite sticking with one particular bait um, and found out that I'm trying to force feed these fish and if I switch over uh, I would have caught a lot more fish so I've been able to you know observe this stuff as as I've gone on in my years and I've had enough practice at catching these fish and being in the right places at the right time that, that I've been able to document it and know what, how I need to make my moves and moon phase is another big deal to me. You know, if I'm going to fish swim baits and I'm looking for that double-digit fish, if that moon is anywhere visible in the air during the day, I know my chances are slim. Um, uh, just a last note, uh, a lot of times all we have are uh, trout-colored swim baits. Uh, do you find that trout-colored swim baits will work in non-trout-stocked waters? Or, again, is it better to match the hatch and go with a different type of color pattern? I think it's a universal color. Um, look at Clear Lake. Yeah. Look what happened when Kennedy went up there with the Huddleston trout color. He slammed them, you know. Uh, so to me, I like to match the hatch because that's the kind of guy I am. But obviously you could see that that, that doesn't mean anything because you, when you look at a hitch and you see the hitch paint jobs, there's chartreuse on the back. They're blue in the middle, and they're sort of silver on the bottom. But that doesn't look like a hitch either. Yeah. But the, it's one of the top-selling baits. So, you know, we, we just try to put our experience in to what we believe in and build our confidence. And I think if you have confidence in what you're doing, no matter what it is, and faith, then it, it's going to work out for you. We're speaking here with Butch Brown. Butch, if people want... More information on the depth products, the optimum products, the new products that you're coming out with. How's the best way to stay in contact 
with you and get more information about these lures? Well, for me, I don't have a website yet because I sort of want to just keep fishing and doing my thing. But you can you can look on my Facebook page, which is uh, Butch Brown Swimbaiter, and see a lot of the videos. I've got I might have eighty or so up there of some double digits, you know. Or you can just uh, send an email or look on the Optimum website, you know, OptimumBaits.com. Eventually, I will get my own website, but uh, to me, it's just not really a priority right now because that means it takes more time away from my fishing, and, and fishing is what I like to do, so I and try to keep it simple. I, I know you're a modest guy, but you've been fishing swim baits for so long. Just give me an idea. What do you think is the heaviest five fish you've ever brought in? The heaviest five fish I've ever brought in is not the 65-pound limit that you see me release. The heaviest limit I've ever got is 68 pounds, and I will think I've had four limits in my life that exceeded 60 pounds, and I've had at least 15 limits that have exceeded 15. So I'm, And I've lost two limits that I know are well over 50 pounds because of a bad day fishing where they all seem to jump <laughs> off. So I've had... I've had plenty of shots at everything, and, and I was fortunate enough and blessed enough to capitalize on the good times, you know, before drought and before the trout stockings became limited and the fish, you know, got a little messed up there. And uh, I was, I don't know if I was smart enough to document it, but I did. And uh, I have an awful lot of video in my little vault there to show people that they haven't, they haven't seen. But there's videos in there where you can see me catch fish from 19 pounds, full cast and catch, to a, to a 50-pound-plus stringer and seven casts back-to-back, you know. All right. So well, I have it all. Just to show that uh, Butch Brown is the real deal, and you can go to Butch Brown's page on Facebook. That's uh, Butch Brown, the Facebook page, Butch, Butch Brown, Brown Swim Baiter. Swim Bader. Swim Bader. You can actually just punch up Butch Brown. I think it'll take you right there. Probably come to it. Yeah. Butch, thanks a lot for spending the time. I know you got a lot of people here that want to talk to you at the show. Thanks for spending some time and talking swim baits to our audience. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. All right. Hey, we'll be back with more Ron Real Radio after these messages. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect, finally a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main and El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. Are you looking for a quality fishing experience out of Cabo San Lucas for you, your family, and friends, but are a bit set back with just what company to go with? Rod and Reel Radio urges you to try American and family-owned Land's End Charters. Land's End Charters offer their clients affordable and all-inclusive services on a variety of vessels and trips. 
Fish with their brand name fishing gear while experiencing the hospitality of a family-run business with over 50 years of experience. Go to landsendcharters.com to see all the current vessels and amenities available and call Cobble Greg or Jenny directly at 800-281-5778 when you're ready to get fishing. H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, HM or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. Quantum Fishing's got something for everybody. From the smallest angler to the oldest veteran, we can get you out there fishing with the greatest reels on the market today. From the all-new for 2016 Icon PT to the Tour Mag to the brand-new redesigned Smoke Reel, we've got something for everyone in your family. Have some fun. Take a kid fishing. They're the future of our sport. Quantum, we are performance-tuned. You can get your Quantum products at anglersarsenal.com or anglersarsenal.mesa at 619-466-8355. As uh, we're cruising the Anglers Marine Show, and as we said before, Got a lot of stars in the uh, fishing business, a lot of people that uh, manufacture tackle. Here's one of the guys, though, that not only has fished, but has written about a lot of the people that are here. Been in a lot of tournaments himself, pretty darn good fisherman, Mr. George Kramer. George, welcome to the show, guy. Well, thank you very much, John. Thank Uh, you. You know, George, uh, I think you and I first met in the early 80s when we uh, got on my old Monarch, and uh, you wanted to do... uh, an article about uh, fishing Mission Bay and how you can take some of our freshwater lures and use them for the spotted bay bass there. And we've known each other since then, and it's been a relationship that I am proud to know. I know one of the good guys in the industry. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah, that was a great uh, fishery for us because it extended what we learned on the lakes, and we discovered that there was. There was an application there in the ocean, and then you see it today, and everyone, everyone talks like bass fishermen talked in the 1980s. The saltwater guys all sound like we used to sound. Well, even you know, to show you how ahead of your time was, a few years ago, Roland Martin came on out here. We did a bunch of shows with them with uh, Bill Semitel, and uh, uh, we did a tuna trip with them. But uh, one of the things he wanted to do is he wanted to do a show on transition baits in our inshore waters and so we uh we took him out to san diego bay uh, bay and we've caught fish on spinner baits and little grubs and crankbaits and all the things that guys would use in freshwater same things uh, same thing we had done uh, almost 30 years earlier <laughs> well you know fishing is a continual circle and uh there are new things new with print you know with uh, quote marks around it new to us perhaps individually but uh, they recycle, and we perfect. And a show like we're at today in the Bassathon, you see the, the 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 tools aren't dramatically different than we had in the 1970s, but they are refined. Oh, to the nth degree. Uh, like 
you come over here and you see the uh, the way swim baits have uh, evolved, the way uh, big rat baits have evolved, and everything like that. Considering the, to what uh, you know, the AC plug used to be with Alan Cole, George Zabo, he used to have that. I remember he had one that he called, you know, what it was called, the dragon or the snake or something like that. You know, uh, the swim baits have come a long way. Oh, they definitely have, and. You know, they add a different dimension. You know, remember when the Castaic was the the place you needed to be before you died. You needed to go to Lake Castaic, and they were catching them on crawdads during the 1980s. And everybody shook in their boots because they thought they were going to have to see the world record broken on a crawdad. And now we're going, which one of these swim baits is the world record going to be broken on? We don't know. Yeah, but you know. Considering what an incredible fishery that is, and I know you keep track of that that stuff. When it looks like when you look at the the top twenty five bass that have been recorded at being caught, how many of them still are from out of Castaic from a long time ago? Yeah, it was a, a marvelous fishery, and in its peak, those people those people were very very fortunate to be able to fish a place where you could actually catch you know an eighteen to twenty who knows what pounder and uh you know it takes a certain environment for that to happen we we know some of the lakes in san diego especially the little lakes that were heavily uh, stocked had great potential but you know a fish only a bass largemouth bass typically only lives to be 12 to 15 years so the fish that you were hoping to break a record for when you were 20 aren't there when you're 35 and they're not there when you're 55 well, it almost seems like if you talk to most of the fishermen now, even with the opening of Lake San Vicente, where it was closed for eight years, uh, no one really disturbed the fish over there. Everyone thought, well, the next world record might come out of that. And since the lake's been open, I think the largest fish to come out of there has only been about 11 pounds. Is there another world record in Southern California, do you believe? Well, I believe there's a fish that's grown that big. The, the difficulty is, you know, matching one of us with a rod in our hand <laughs> and one of them on an open day during the California daylight hours uh, when the gates aren't locked and all of the things that we associate with uh, the uh, big bass experience. And it'll probably be caught by uh, some uh, 12-year-old with a night crawler uh, and a and a, a, a bait hook uh, fishing on a Zipco 33 off the shoreline, right? <laughs> well, I think somebody already tried that. But. <laughs> George, you you have had a celebrated career in writing all the publications you've written for, the thousands and thousands of words that you put down on pen and ink. When you look back, is, is there any one article or one topic that you think you wrote about that you went, man, that... That was really the uh, the gold standard. Oh, I don't know. Sometimes, you know, you think you're really on the money, and then you find out a couple years later, you know, that really wasn't the secret. The secret was, you know, you needed to be here or you needed to be there. I think uh, I tend to, to write more, a- after a while, uh, more philosophically. In other words, what are we thinking when we go, and what do we what do we have to tell ourselves in order to make the right decisions on the water? Not that I have the answer. In fact, with my finishing second to last in this year's U.S. Open proves that I don't have any very good answers. But um, but those are the kinds of things that, that, you know, if they stimulate a fisherman to think about what he's doing, and those are the things that i got to tell you, 
as a writer, you don't get a lot of feedback, except when people are mad at you, but you don't get a lot of feedback. But when you get it, and they say, you know, I think I knew what you were talking about, but you reminded me of something that I should have been considered. And I figured, gosh, if, if that works for you, I've done my job. Well, you write for several publications. You also have your, your blog. And you're always willing to stir the ashes a little bit. And one of the things that you've written about are your your top list, the top fishermen, everything like that. But before you hang that up, you decided to come up with one more list of the top whatever it is. And tell us about it, will okay. you please? Well, uh, Rick Rover actually came to me. He said this this is the 30th anniversary of the Bassathon. And because of that, how about you do a top 40 of the last 30 years? It really wasn't something I wanted to do because, one, I'm getting older and my memory's going. <laughs> but I, uh, I enlisted the help of some of the guys up and down the state that have a little uh, long in the tooth so that they would remember. Uh, 30 years doesn't seem like a long time, but what happens is people in the early days of the Bassathon, 30 years ago of roughly, some of those fishermen who were considered most excellent were more at the tail end of their careers. Sure. But we didn't want to discount them because 30 years, you know, just like my best writing days are probably behind me, but I, I'm still writing. Yeah. Okay. People still, are still reading you. I'm still casting. so I, you know, You're I still, still upsetting t- people with your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what we did is we, we thought we would put that together and put a list uh, that included those. And the biggest problem in any of these kinds of lists, besides the opinion issue, is just trying to make sure you're accurate. You know, a lot of people can't just look over your shoulder and say, oh, I remember that guy from 20 years ago and what he did. Nobody remembers. And it's really hard to research some of that, so we have to go with the feel that we had. Some of the fishermen, uh, Sandy, Bill Murphy is very important to me in my career. He, he was just on a pedestal. And yes, he was a unique individual, and, and uh, some say a little crotchety, but he was well ahead of the world in thinking. He was one that was willing to share his observations eventually in his book, and I considered him just iconic. And uh, he was known actually better in some places in the Midwest because he, the Midwest magazines were writing about him, whereas in the West, you know, we were, had some misgivings. I guess too close, you know the. Uh, you know, the prophet in his own land. You know, uh, it, it's funny because there's a uh, picture on Facebook right now, a fellow by the name of Mike. I won't give his last name, uh, but if you go to a uh, Facebook page on Ron Real Radio, I think you'll see it. He's got a picture of him with Bill Murphy's book opened up and his newly born daughter in his hands, and he's reading to his daughter out of Bill Murphy's book. So... There's just some things that happen in life, especially in the fishing community, that has legs. Uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, no generation knows it all. We, we give a lot of credit to these new young guns and how, and how really talented they are. But everybody's built on somebody else's foundation. I know guys that I started with in the 70s that were thought that could literally walk on water. And 10 years later, they were discounted as being, you know, absolutely, they didn't know anything about the sport. Well, that's, that's the nature of it. And now information is so readily available for everyone that 
young guys can pick up stuff so quickly. And the one thing that youth does that maybe uh, some of us a little uh, down the road don't do is they don't have the prejudices or the biases about why you do what for what conditions. They're fearless. And they'll, they, so they try a lot of things, they have success, and they expand the knowledge. And that's, uh, that's always fun to watch from my perspective. We're speaking with uh, writer George Kramer. George, uh, uh, when you were growing up in your uh, writing career, you know, fishermen have idols that they look at. Were there some people that uh, you looked at and go, wow, this guy's pretty good. I, I hope I can do as well. Well, I think one that I read a lot was Jason Lucas. He was, uh, I think, sports a field and maybe even field a stream for a time. Um, Homer Circle, of course, got a lot of play and was was good. But Jason Lucas kind of talked to fishermen like fishermen. And sure, we know more. You know, information, knowledge, science has increased from that day. But I always felt like he was giving me information that I could take and go. And so... I wanted to be like that. Also, be honest with you, is this a, am I, can I spill the truth here? <laughs> when I started bass fishing in Orange County, not too many people would uh, give you any information or help. And in fact, many would just flat out lie to you sure. and, uh, and try to mislead you. And I thought once I got to the point where I was writing and I had an opportunity to share information, I said, I'm going to make every one of those guys pay. I'm going to tell everything I learn. I'm going to be. As, I'm going to try to tell people things that will help them tomorrow. And all in all, that's probably served me as well as anything in my career. Well, I, I even know of instances where of a bass fisherman, if he started catching fish on a certain lure, he would go to every tackle store he could find and buy every one of those lures so that no one else would have it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way they were. Yeah, they'll do anything they can to protect it. And I, again, I, I would not hold that against the fishermen, especially in competition, to, to keep things close to sure. the best. But the, but just the straight misleading. Uh, how, how can you know? I, I don't know. It's just not a, it's just not a good way to be. Well, let's let's uh, catch up to what's currently happening. Sure. Uh, George Kramer's about ready to turn the page again. You know, you uh, published. This, uh, this list uh, that by the time this broadcast will already be out of uh, the, uh, what do you want to call it, the top 30 the, movers and the, shakers? Well, and the top 40 of the last 30 years of California bass fishermen, it's not necessarily uh, just how qualified they are as you know anglers, but their influence on the sport, their, the, what they mean to a generation of fishermen and later generations. So it's, it's some that are, you know, known in the tournament ranks, but there's others that maybe were technique-specific. All right, and I have enjoyed reading your blog, but you say you're going to close that, but you're not completely getting out of writing. Tell us what you're going to be doing now when 2017 rolls around and beyond. Well, you know, the one thing that's put a guy like me uh, out of business, sort of, is Facebook. It, <laughs> I can pretty much uh, share the same things that I did on my blog, maybe more briefly, uh, you know, on the social media. And so I just don't have as much time of this this particular part of my life. I've got a number of things going on. I still edit a Saltwater magazine. I still write for a couple of the vast publications. Um, but I don't have to wake up in the morning trying to think of a good idea. <laughs> you might even be able to go fishing or do something with a wife. 
or get involved with an activity with the church, which I know you're also involved with, get out and expand upon those things. Yeah, I mean, that's really what's happening. Uh, my, my wife and I are on a church service mission right now. We work with the youth uh, 19 to 31. And I'm just assisting them in, in as best we can. If some, if some of them, they need a ride. Some of them, they just need a hug. Uh, some of them just uh, need uh, some opinions of what old people think. I mean, there's lots of things that we might do, but that takes up a, a lot of our time. Well, you know, we spoke with Jimmy Houston, and uh, you were talking with him a little while ago. There seem to be a lot of young people that are still interested about what old people think. And when you look at the crowds that Jimmy brings in and Rick, Rick Lund, he's talking over here, uh, a lot of people are still interested on, on uh, what their opinion is. And I know you're in that group, too. Well, you know, perspective. That's the one thing that we can bring. We... You know, we're not going to be more spry. We're not going to be quicker on the trigger. We're not going to be able to stand and throw those 12-inch baits all day long. But we have seen things that when they were all made out of wood, when they were all one color, when they were all, you know, so much simpler, when bait casters only had three-to-one gear ratios and all of the other things, and we've seen that come to where we are today. Hey, I know you were uh, walking around with uh, Terry Foreman. We've known Terry for a long time, being formerly with California Department of Fish and Wildlife. Now spends part of his time in Havasu. Has he invited you over there to do any of that uh, smallmouth fishing that they're known for? He invites me pretty regularly. I just I haven't <laughs> had been able to escape. But I understand maybe he's going to be uh, selling that place and sticking closer to SoCal, so we'll get to see him more often. All right, George people want to keep up with what you're doing stay in contact with you even if they've got a question or three to ask you how's the best way to contact you well you know i'm still on facebook you know you know anybody can find me that way i'm uh western outdoor news i'm a monthly contributor and uh and if you like the saltwater side i'm uh, i at pacific coast sport fishing all right george kramer thank you for all the great years of articles that you've put on out uh I've learned so much from you, and you also made me think, too. I appreciate it, and we look forward to talking to you in the not-too-distant future. Well, thank you very much, John. Thank you. All right. Hey, there's more to come on Rod and Reel Radio. Stay tuned. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. Hey everybody, this is a message for our listeners from a new Baja Magic Lodge at Cedros Island. Cedros Outdoor Adventures wants to make your dream of fish at Cedros Island a reality. Want to go after giant calicos or yellowtail with the best Cedros Island fishing organization, but you just don't know who to contact? Then give Cedros Outdoor Adventures a call at 619-793-5419, or even better yet, log on to their informative website at cedrosoutdooradventures.com. There you can visit their trip calendar and schedule a trip that's convenient for you. Once again, the phone number is 619-793-5419 or their website of cedrosoutdooradventures.com. Rick Rover always manages to have a lot of headliners here and uh, one of the top guys that showed up this year to see how we fish here in Southern California. Maybe give us some tips. Maybe we can bring back 
a few tips on uh, fish in Southern California style. Mr. Jimmy Houston. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Well, I, I've only been here for about five minutes. I already got lures in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Two of them, as a matter of fact, one for crappie and one for bass. Well, you know, not bad, huh? <laughs> we always think it about fishing, but you know, I come up to say hello to you, and the first thing you do is you're you're showing a picture of uh, Roland Martin with uh, a big old deer up in Montana. So, uh, fishing part of it, but all outdoors is really what you guys are about. You know, really, and of course, this time of the year is hunting season, and uh, yeah, I just looked. Roland sent me that picture Thursday, so I just day before yesterday, I guess I got that picture. Uh, I left. I got up and uh, at two o'clock this morning, left Oklahoma and left my ranch at about three. And uh, but I, my my kids and grandkids have all been out bow hunting this morning, and uh, three of them said they saw a shooter, but none of them shot one. So I don't know what that means. <laughs> I guess they get close enough. I don't know. Well, you know, uh, even though uh, you know we're in the fall time, uh, starting early winter, uh, if you can still fish, this is still a good time to fish. In that picture that you showed me of you and Roland with a couple of smallmouth up there in Minnesota, that was only taken. Uh, a well, week or so ago, well, we saw good weather up that's there. That's right. You know, that was that was actually in September, so that's okay. really about a month ago. But I just got a picture this week from a buddy of mine on Pickwick Lake in uh, in Alabama, Florence, Alabama, and he was holding up two big smallmouth. It looked like about five or six pounders. He didn't tell me how big they were, but uh, and that that was just caught this week. And on my home lake there in Ten Killer in Oklahoma. In fact, I'm planning on going over there Tuesday and, and trying to do a television show. Uh, a buddy of mine caught 40 smallmouth there one day this week, and, and he caught them on crankbaits and little small jigs. Uh, another buddy of mine told me that he walked down and was fishing around the boat ramp and caught 10 went fishing off the bank. So those smallmouth uh, in most of the southern lakes are up real shallow. Of course, y'all have summertime all the time here in yeah, L.A. I yeah. mean, it, it, it's, uh, it's cool out there for today. It's below 70 degrees. And that's <laughs> it. When, if I, when I get here to California, if it's not 72, people are complaining about the weather. Well, you know, it also goes to show that you don't have to have a 250-horsepower engine and get out in a big old ranger boat and, and run 50 miles away from the boat dock. Sometimes you're missing some of the best fishing just right under your own nose. Well, I actually, uh, you know, Veterans Day, which was last Friday, I had a couple of uh, Afghanistan veterans out, uh, one of them that had been shot in the back a couple times, another one had lost a couple of legs and, uh, and an arm uh, in an IED, and... Uh, uh, we fished all day long, and we caught 19 bass, which is not real good, but we had a great time. We had a, had a lot of fun, but then at dark, and, and uh, the other boat, we had two boats out there and was swapping around, but the other boat, uh, I think they caught about 12 or 13, but, uh, but we were waiting, on, waiting to load the boat, and it got dark on us. Of course, it gets dark so early this time of the year. Uh, it got dark on us, and, uh, and in the, at, right after it got dark, while we were waiting for them to get my boat trailer back down into the water, Right in front of the boat ramp, just a little bit away from being able to cast from the bank, right in front of the boat ramp, in five minutes I caught a three and a five and a seven, a slow rolling spinnerbait over some grass. So, uh, And we had fished that area, because it's a good area, we had fished it earlier for about an hour and hadn't had a bite there, and those fish just started biting right at dark, I'm sure. But, uh, but, but oh yeah, you could catch, that's a good thing about springtime fishing, fall, you can catch fish off the bank. Uh, I just noticed coming in here to, uh, to anglers, uh, some of the paid trout lakes that are right here close by, there must have been two or three hundred cars around each lake. So obviously, obviously fishing's good right now, uh, right here in town. I mean, almost within a stone throw of right here. Gosh, I have so many things I can talk to you about, uh, uh, speaking with Jimmy Houston, but you happen to mention uh, spinnerbait. Do you, do you consider that your go-to bait? Well, I, you know, it, it's, 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 it's my bait I would rather catch a fish on. If, if I had the ability... 
to be able to make a fish bite, whatever I wanted to bite, I'd be throwing a spinnerbait probably about all the time. Uh, and, uh, and, and I do like a spinnerbait a lot. You know, I'm an old-fashioned guy. I probably catch uh, really about 65% of all the bass I catch in a year's time is on a spinnerbait. Uh, I fish a jig a lot. I fish a crankbait a lot. That's probably my top three baits. Uh, you know, we fish uh, what nowadays they call shaky head. Back when I was a kid, we called that a jig and worm, sure. and now they call it a shaky head. We fish that a lot. We fish the drop shot. Uh, we do the, the split shot. We do everything that everybody else does. But, uh, but yeah, I would probably rather catch them on a spinnerbait than anything else. It's just a lot of fun. Hey, let's go back a few years and see the old pictures of yourself and Roland and, and Bill Dance and Ray Scott and everything like that back to the early 70s. When, when you were working at that time, did you ever imagine that the sport would have the legs that it has and that you guys would have the endurance that you have? Well, really, you know, I, I thought this sport would get really, really big. You know, I mean, I didn't know how big it would get, and, and it is still lags behind uh, some of the other professional sports as far as money winnings. But, you know, we have a, 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 a lot of guys in this business now that make six-figure six incomes. We have a handful that make seven-figure incomes. But, uh, but it has grown to where uh, guys can now make a living in the sport. And, and just to tell you what I think about it, and how it's changed just in, say, the last five or six or seven years. Probably five or six, seven years ago, I probably would not recommend to a, a, a teenager to, you know, strike out as a career as a tournament fisherman. I would recommend that now. I mean, that's a, a very good profession to aspire to become. And uh, to make it to the top level, it's like any other sport at the top level. And at the top level in bass fishing right now, only 100 guys or 110 guys in BASS Elite only 170 in the FLW Tour. So those two organizations, only 280 people are playing at that top level of the game, which is a pretty small amount. It's not quite like NASCAR where, you know, you have 43 at the top level, but it's still a pretty pretty select group that make it to the top. But the great thing about it is uh, guys can work up to that level. And, and the beautiful part is, you know, you don't have to start uh, trying to work up to that level and hope you get there by 20 or 25 years old like you do in a lot of other sports. You can make it at 30 or 35, make it to that top level, and you can then, once you make it to that level, continue to play on. Most of the very top bass fishermen over the years on the professional level have hit their peak years around 30 to 45 years old. Sure. You know, that 10 or 15-year period there when you acquire a tremendous amount of knowledge, you're still young enough to do everything from an athletic standpoint, uh, and uh, those are the guys that seem to be uh, the ones that dominate the sport. Back when, when I was, you know, 30 or 35, I won my first Angler of the Year title in 76. So I was 32 years old. I won my second Angler of the Year title 10 years later. I was 42. During that period of time, you know, I made the money just about every single time. And we were fishing with 300 people, and you had to make the top 50 to make the money. Not 100 people, and you had to make the top 50 to make the money. So... But it, that, that's just sort of the prime time in there. But the cool thing about it, you know, I'm 72 and still playing at the very top level. And, you know, last year, I, and I make the money about half the time. I mean, that's just it. Uh, and uh, you look at somebody like Ricky Clun, who, uh, and I, I know, I, I know that, that you look at Ricky and you think he's a lot older than, than I am. He's really not. He's really a little bit younger. Not much younger, but a little bit. You look at somebody like Hank Parker, you think Hank's a lot older than me. He's actually younger than me, too. <laughs> really hard to believe looking well, at Well, let's Hank. find someone really? older than you. Uh, Roland Martin. Okay. Roland, Roland's about the only guy, you know. And, and, you know, Roland is still, he's not fishing at the top level, 
but he's fishing at the very next level down, which is uh, the, he's fishing the, the Bass Opens and some of the FLW uh, Walmart events, which are, uh, you know, about the next level down. And even at that next level, a lot of the top-line pros fish that next level down now because you have a chance to make the Bass Classic or the FLW Championship at that second level if you win one of the top tournaments or you finish the top five for the year. You know, the rules change every year, and I don't fish those. So I don't know exactly what the rules are, but I know that at that second level in bass, if you win a tournament, you get to fish the Classic. And, 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 and that's really one thing that Roland, Roland and I run around together a lot, so I pretty much know everything he's doing. But that's one of the things that Roland wants to do. You know, I'm the oldest one to ever qualify for an FLW championship. Roland really wants to be the oldest one to yeah. ever qualify for a He for wants a, to be the oldest one to win a Bassmaster Classic. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, and, he's, and he might. Uh, I, I told him, I said, well, if you do that, Roland, I said, I'll go over and fix some of those opens and I'll beat your record. <laughs> but, you, you know, it's really, really difficult to win a tournament at any level. I don't sure. care. And, and at second level in FLW, the second level in BASS, tremendous fishermen, tremendous catches, uh, you know, and, and, and to, to win one of those tournaments, you got to go out and really perform well to win one of them and you know and you probably appreciate that with today's fishermen like the kevin van dams the aaron martins uh uh you know the the guys that have gone up there consistently winning it's tough to win one let alone put a bunch of them together oh it is it's amazing and when you look at somebody like kevin that's won seven bass angler of the year titles you know there's a uh, not many of us that have won two and roland of course has won nine more than anybody else and the impressive thing about Roland doing that is he was doing it in a 300-man field, yeah. not a 100-man field. And uh, that doesn't – I'm not saying it's easy, easier to win it in a 100-man field because it's not. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, the angle of the year titles I, I won was in a 300-man field, drawing for boats, competing for the water all day long, flipping for a boat sometime. Uh, but that doesn't make any difference. It's very, very difficult to fish six tournaments, seven tournaments, eight tournaments, ten tournaments – and, and be the guy that, that beats everybody throughout that year. That just, uh, well, only one guy does it. It's like you end up the end of the year and there's one World Series champion, there's one Super Bowl champion, and, and the angle of the year for the fishermen, uh, it doesn't pay quite as much money as winning the Bassmaster Classic or the FLW Championship, but it means more to them. And it does pay quite a bit of money now. 125000 in FLW, I think 100000 in BASS, and... And uh, my first thing of the year title, I got zero. I got nobody at all. <laughs> Just like golf. You know, you take the, yeah. the early golfers, uh, they hardly could, uh, you know, they were sleeping in their cars and doing all the stuff. And when you talk to most of the pros that are out there today, they were doing the same thing, sleeping in campgrounds, sleeping in cars, to, until they could make it big. Oh, yeah, absolutely no doubt about it. When I was a senior in college, uh, the first three tournaments I ever fished, one was a state preliminary uh, which I won, and then I, I actually the first one I finished fourth, then I won one, qualified for the state finals, I won the state championship. When I went up and, 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 and practiced for that state championship on a lake there in Oklahoma, of course, again, I was in college, there was a lot of lakes I'd never fished. Uh, but when I went up and fished that, uh, that lake and, and spent four or five days practicing, uh, I, I camped out in the campground, and I didn't have a tent. Uh, I slept on a picnic table. I laid... Uh, blankets out on a picnic table a concrete picnic table that you have at campground and slept on that and then get up at daylight and go fish all day and in a lot of those early tournaments around oklahoma i'd fish a tournament on saturday and another tournament on sunday that was maybe 100 150 miles away at a different lake i know i'd end that one tournament drive to the next one get over there late at night and i'd park my boat and my truck on the boat ramp and sleep in my truck 
And that way, the next morning, when everybody got ready to start launching their boats, it'd be banging on my window saying, "Put your boat in the water so everybody can launch." And and uh, but I didn't have a you know back in those days probably six or eight dollars for a hotel room, but I didn't have six or eight dollars. So uh, uh, yeah, and, and there's nearly everybody can tell the same type of stories of paying that price to get to you know to, to, to where they are today in the game and and a lot of people do that same thing and did not make it to the top level too that's just the, the nature of competition and the nature of playing you know uh, bass fishing is a little bit like rodeo you know my buddy garth brooks there in oklahoma wrote a song about rodeo and it said they'll sell everything they've got to pay to play the game sure and that's enough. really a lot like a bass fisherman you know uh, you'll do whatever to pay to play the game and and, uh, and, but the great thing about it now is it is something to aspire to become. And the young fishermen, when I talk to crowds, I look out there and I say, there's another Ricky Klein out here. There's another Roland Martin sure out here. There's another Kevin Van, another Shaw Grigsby, you know, and on and on and on. And, uh, you know, there's, there's future uh, television hosts out there that will be hosting television shows for years. And, and, uh, and, and uh, it's just a, and, and it's a crowded field, obviously. But, you know, it was a crowded field when we played it, too. Uh, you know, when you had the, the early BASS tournaments, the first one I ever fished in 68, I think we had 126 people is all that was there. But it wasn't long till those fields grew to 300 people fishing BASS tournaments. And most of the years we fished uh, in the 70s and the 80s, 300-man fields. So that's a pretty big field. What were you looking at as an entry fee at that time? Well, the very first one in FL in BASS was $125, uh, and I fished the, the second or third tournament BASS ever had. You fall Alabama in 68. I got the lead in that tournament the first day with uh, 11 bass weighed 52 pounds and something. No. But uh, I didn't win the tournament. I didn't I caught a, I didn't catch big bass. I had an 810, an 814, a 9.3 on the same stringer. The big bass was 9.5. I didn't even, didn't even catch a big bass. But I, I ended up finishing I think I got sixth place in that tournament. I was first and then second and sixth after three days. But, uh, but you know, the, most of the tournaments, you know, we got up to 150, 200, 250, 300 dollars. I think most of the tournaments we were fishing under a 300 man field was 300 dollar entry fee, and you had to have 300 people. You had 90 thousand dollars. You know, that you're going to get away. So it was pretty good. You know, going back into those early days, there were a lot of great fishermen, and unfortunately, a lot of the guys that are today don't know their names. They'll never know their names, but they were really good fishermen. Uh, just bring up some of the guys that you were fishing with at that time were great fishermen and could they compete today with well, the tools that we have today with, with, with it with it if, if they were at the right age they could you know yeah. but uh yeah, if they were the right age they could you know but uh uh you know we look at some of the people that are not with us anymore people like like uh, tom mann uh billy westmoreland you know some of those sure. great fishermen that the, the guy that uh, that won the first BASS tournament, Stan Sloan, yeah. uh, the, one, the one on Beaver, the first BASS tournament that they that they ever had. The guy that won the tournament I was talking about there that, that I led at Ufala, Alabama, Rick Honeycutt. Uh, you know, there's just a, a, you know, there was a lot of really great fishermen. And, and, and you know, I actually even go back further than that, John. I uh, When I was a senior in high school, which was 1962, they had the, what they call the World Series of sports fishing at Lake Tenkiller uh, and, and Grand Lake and Fort Gibson. The last two or three days of that tournament was on Lake Tenkiller. My dad owned a resort there. The fishermen that was in that tournament all stayed there, and they fished all of them for about two weeks preparing for that tournament. I fished with nearly every one of them when I was a senior in high school. They liked to fish with me because at that time, you know, I was showing them around the lake, which is sort of like almost a free guide. But I would, had the experience of fishing with the best bass fishermen in the world. 
people like Roland Martin, people, uh, I mean, uh, uh, people like uh, uh, Jim Rogers uh, out of Lamar, Missouri, who was one of the great tournament, Virgil Ward, who had championship fishing television show for years, uh, Joe Krieger, who actually ended up winning that tournament, uh, Glenn Ward, Glenn Causey, you know, those guys were, uh, were the, the very top tournament fishermen at the time back in, uh, in 1962. Roy Martin out of Panama City, Florida. And, and I fished in the boat with all of those guys, and it was such a tremendous learning experience when I was just like 17 years old. Uh, Roy Martin has got more, holds more saltwater world records than any man alive. And yet he was a great bass fisherman too, but like most fishermen in Florida, they have tremendous freshwater fishing, tremendous saltwater fishing. He was a, you know, renowned, world renowned saltwater fisherman, yet he's one of the greatest bass fishermen ever also living there in Panama City, Florida, and having all that great bass fishing right around Panama We're City. We're speaking with Jimmy Houston here, and Jimmy, let's uh, move a little bit into the present. You've gotten together with two great friends, Roland Martin, Bill Dance, formed the Legends. Tell us a little bit about that, and, and how's that going? Well, the three Legends, we got, it's a brand, and the brand is the three Legends, which is Roland and Bill and I, and uh, we have quite a few different products. Uh, they just put the new uh, Three Legends beef jerky out on the market here recently. We've got quite a few different products that are around that have the three legends brand on it and, and it's just a licensing brand is what it is and uh, uh the three of us have been you know in bass fishing from almost day one and and close friends we run around together we fish together a lot bill doesn't hunt but roland and i hunt together a lot also and uh it, it, it's, it's doing very very well you know i've got to say uh, i was super impressed going to uh, icast a couple of years ago uh uh, you and Bill uh, and Roland, you showed up as the three legends. Uh, it was press day, if I'm not re- recall, and there was a whole buzz, and the people were stirring around doing stuff. All of a sudden, you guys came out. You were introduced. The show stopped, and everyone wanted to see what Bill, what Roland, what Jimmy were doing. And uh, does that just surprise you that that you have this longevity? Even in the market today? Well, it, that was a cool deal down there at that ICAST. And one of the things that, uh, one of the things that I, I was uh, really so uh, honored by is that you're right. Pretty much everybody in the whole building came by and, and got an autograph and got their picture taken. And when you think about it, uh, you know, to, to get your, uh, a picture taken with, uh, you know, the three fishermen that have, uh, you, you know, had television shows for the three of us together 125 or 130 years uh, you know, I'm like the puppy of the bunch, and, and next year will be our 40th year. I think it'll be Roland Martin's 42nd year, or 43rd maybe, and maybe Bill's 46th year. So that's uh, whatever that is, 130 years of television. And uh, and not only that, but three of the longest-running television shows in the history of television. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we left ESPN uh, a few years back, we'd been on ESPN 21 years, and I think at the time that we left, it was the third longest show that they'd ever had on ESPN even. And, uh, of course, Sports Center obviously started from day one and will always be the longest-running show on ESPN. But even that pales in comparison to how long they, they, those three guys have had their shows on television. And so uh, it, it's one of, the, uh, one of the really great things. And one of the things that has been surprising to me uh, as the years have gone by is how the younger fishermen – uh, still look up to, to, to people like Bill and Roland, and and uh, we do the autograph sessions. And I, I t- I've told Roland and Bill for years that you know there'll come a time when all of our fans are the same age as we are. We won't have any fans <laughs> left, and but it's not been that way at all. No. When we go, uh, the the twelve year olds that love to fish, 
they, they, they realize and they, they, they honor us by, by you know, and I, I, I look at some of those kids sometimes and they, they look up and there's love in their eyes and that's a pretty good feeling. It really yeah, tell is. us about the young fishermen. I mean, here you are, you're talking about a fellow that may be, be close to 70 one way or the other. Try and 72. <laughs> and you get a lot of fishermen that have uh, only been in the sport for a long time. They really don't even know maybe who you are or your background. Luckily, we had a chance to talk about it. But what message do you give these kids that are coming on up when they want to know more about getting into fishing? Well, I think it's the same as it's always been. I think you just need to spend as much time on the water as you possibly can, and you need to fish with as many different people as you possibly can on as many different types of lake as you can. Uh, You know, as an example, out here in California, for the most part, most of the fishing is quite a bit different than it is all over the south where most of the, the big national tournaments have been held. And that said, you know, when the guys that are really good come out here in California, they're able to adapt and catch big strings of fish. And when the guys in California out here that are good, they have a little learning curve, but so many of them have become great, great fishermen. You mentioned Aaron Martins a little bit earlier. Aaron's a great example. Uh, Skeet Reese is a great example. Before that, go back to some of the names that some of the younger fishermen out here might not even remember as people like Dave Levy and and Dee Thomas. You know, Dee Thomas actually taught me how to flip. And I've given flipping seminars for 40 years because of the things that Dee Thomas taught me years and years and years ago. And, And he actually came to Oklahoma. We both at that time uh, was sponsored by Fenwick, and they brought D. Tom- Dave Myers, a guy named Dave Myers that worked for Fenwick, brought D. Thomas out and fished with me in Oklahoma, and I got to learn how to flip from, I guess, the guy that invented it. I don't know. And I had developed underhanded casting 50 years ago, and uh, and uh, and that became a, a staple in, in fishing. And then I don't know who came up with the pitching technique, but uh, we all pitch now, and we teach people how to pitch all the time. But uh, but you know the uh, the guys that have have uh, and and and, and people that have, have, have even moved well in fact most of them do move to that part of the country Gary Klein's a perfect yeah. example Gary you know uh, grew up out here at Orville and learned to fish up there on that Clearwater Reservoir and and yet you know he, he moved to Texas and he, he moved to Texas in fact I was at the exact show when it where he met Jana and she was uh, uh, working the door you know uh, was uh, checking people's badges we go in and out and and uh, she just, you know, of course she's still pretty as she can be, but she was just as cute as she could be. Had a little te- short Texas skirt and some boots on like those Texas girls wear. And, uh, and uh, Gary Klein, it, it, we, you know, he mentioned something about her. And, and I was there at that show two or three days. And every time I'd walk by there, he would be over there talking to her. And, and of course, that ended up being, you know, they've been married now for 100 years. But, uh, but you know, Gary, that was one of the main reasons Gary moved to, moved to that part of the country. But uh, but you have to get close to where that tournament action is over there. And, and with the guys that have come from out here in California, gone back there, not all of them have succeeded, but a good bunch of them have because it doesn't matter where you go anywhere in the country. Uh, you know, once you learn to, 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 to exactly the decision-making processes, you can make them to, no matter what kind of water you're fishing. Wow. You know, uh, just before we end up here, you know, we were talking about people that were influential. Good friend of mine, I know, was a good friend of yours. He helped launch a lot of careers. Harvey Naslin oh, passed away here a few years ago. But he talked about a character, guy that has a few stories, but a fella that uh, Harvey was, stole one my stole one of my cars one time. He did. Yeah, he did. I, we we called the cops on him, but he brought it back. I, I think uh, I've heard that story. Yeah, I think yeah. there's a couple of different versions of it, though. Yeah, it's a bull show's <laughs> lake. And uh, he had come over there to Bull Shows Lake at a BASS tournament, 
and uh, and and he had uh, uh, I had gone over there in a in a truck and a motorhome and a boat, and my wife had come over in a, in a car uh, a couple of days after the you know that she couldn't be there for the practice or something. But anyway, we had to, we had two vehicles over there, and and we was at the weigh-in, and she looked up and or when somebody was with her looked up and said, Chris, I. I think that man just got in your car to drive it off with. She looked up, and sure enough, he was gone with it. And and she didn't see who it was. I'm not even sure at that time that she knew Harvey. And uh, and, uh, and so they called the cops on him. Right. <laughs> and, and he actually, it was a car that was, uh, and, and back in those Little days, cars. no days, nobody took their keys out of the car. Right. In those days, everybody just left them in, and nobody stole cars. And, uh, and But he had got in that car, which... Uh, it's pretty easy to do, you know, particularly in a rental car. And he thought it was a rental car, and he got it a few miles down the road and realized, oh, my gosh, I guess he looked in there and saw some other stuff in there and thought, oh, my gosh. And he, he brought it back before the cops caught him, but we just about had him thrown in jail. <laughs> uh, all kinds of great stories up there. We're speaking with Jimmy Houston. Jimmy, uh, uh, just polish that crystal ball off uh, and tell us a little bit. Uh, What's the store for Jimmy Houston in the future? Well, you know, we're going to just keep doing what we're doing. You know, as long as I can stay healthy, we're going to continue to do what we're doing. Uh, I have uh, entered the uh, the FLW Tour tournaments next year. I've entered all seven of them. Uh, I fished for Shell Oil Company uh, with their Quaker State brand in the tournaments on the Quaker State team, along with Matt Airy and Scott Canterbury. And, uh, and then I also uh, promote their Shell Rotella brand and their Pennzoil Marine brand. So I've really got kind of a really big package there with Shell. And uh, do a lot of work with that company, uh, but uh, I guarantee them that I'll fish four tournaments a year. Sometimes, well, usually the schedule just doesn't allow me to fish sure. all seven of them. I hope to. I got to fish six last year, and and I hope to get to fish all seven of them. I got them all down on my schedule, and but uh, as the year goes on, that that may not stay that way. But but I'm going to continue to fish them. You know, uh, this year that we just had was our 50th year. I fished my first national tournament in 1966 when I was a senior in college, and. So 2016 was 50 years, uh, and so next year will be starting on the second 50. <laughs> oh, my God. So there's uh, there's still a little more gas left in the tank. Uh, I know. We'll, we'll keep on playing. You know, we are, we are, I'm kind of like Ricky Glenn. I'm, I am too old to fish tournaments, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, we, we're having a really good tournament year this year and, and uh, didn't make the money the last two tournaments. We'd made it three out of the first four. And, and uh, we, we caught limits. I caught limits every day, but, but it wasn't quite big enough, and uh, we bombed out those last two tournaments. But uh, Ricky Clun won a tournament this year, the first tournament of the year in BASS yeah. Elite. And so, uh, you know, uh, Roland Martin almost won a tournament in the Bass Open this year. He was up there real close the first day and messed up the second day. But, uh, you know, we, we'll keep playing. You know, the, you, you know, you can't be nearly as consistent as you are when you're 30, 35, 40 years old. But, uh, but, but it's a fun game to play, and you get on the right bunch of fish. Uh, we can still put the fish in a boat, and uh, sometimes we just can't put them in a the boat as good as some of these other guys can nowadays. Well, I also want to thank you, too, for your accessibility because I know there's a lot of young fishermen, a lot of old fishermen like myself, that just want to come up, say hello to you, maybe see if they can grab a piece of the magic away from you, the, <laughs> this longevity that uh, you have that you call bass fishing. It sounds like it's still staying fun. Well, it is fun. You know, I, I, uh, I practice. My, my wife practiced with me all three days. You know, she fished Bass and Gal for all 21 years of Bass and Gal and won, uh, won seven Angler of the Year titles herself. And uh, I guess her and uh, Ricky and uh, Roland Martin and, and uh, Kevin Van Dam is the only one that's won that many Angler of the Year titles. And, and, uh, and she's won four Bass and Gal Classics also. But uh, she practiced with me all three days of practice, and uh, uh, we practiced as hard as we ever did. And that's one of the reasons that, 
I continue to tournament fish is that her and I get to spend uh, those 10 days together. Uh, but it, it just about wrecks my body to fish tournaments anymore. <laughs> but it wrecked them when I was, yeah, it wrecked them 30 sure. years ago. It don't make any difference. You know, it's a, we play it as hard as we know how. Uh, we just can't play it quite as good as we used to. <laughs> you know, when it comes to uh, just one last question, we'll let you go because we've got people here that are taking pictures. They want to speak to you. You're going to be putting on a seminar here later on. If there is one species of fish that you can go after, what is it and where do you think it would be? You know, of course, I'm a bass fisherman, but I fish for everything. But but I probably love peacock bass oh, yeah. better than anything else. And uh, I fished them just about everywhere they are. Uh, I fished them in Florida, of course, where they're not quite as large as they are in South America. Uh, I love uh, Columbia, the, the Orinoco River in Columbia. I fished, uh, you know, quite a few of the lakes in uh, in Venezuela. I fished all up along the the uh, Amazon and the Rio Negro in uh, Brazil, uh, but I, I, I love peacock bass fishing, and, and uh, mostly when I'm peacock bass fishing, I'm throwing a, a big topwater bait, a Zara spook, or I'm throwing a spinner bait, and, uh, and we've caught, you know, uh, several 21 to 23 pounders, and, uh, you know, to have a 15-pounder blow up on a Zara spook is like dropping a mercury motor, mercury motor out of an you airplane. You got it. That's what it's like. It's amazing. Uh, an ending? people want to stay in contact with you uh, see what's latest happening to you and happening to guys like Roland and Bill Dance because I know you're with them all the time uh, how can people stay in contact with you and keep current on what you're doing well we've got a pretty big social media program you know our Facebook uh, fan page has got about 250 260,000 fans on there and uh, we're, we're very very active on that every single day and uh, you know in addition to that of course our, our website and and uh, we don't do a whole lot of Twitter stuff. I guess we need to start that if the president's going to do it. Uh, but, uh, but 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 our, our Facebook uh, fan page is the biggest thing. And, and, of course, our television show shows about 20, 21, 22 times a week on quite a few different stations, NBC Sports. Uh, this next year will also be, in addition to NBC Sports, CBS Sports. Uh, we show on uh, uh, Destination America, which is a discovery network. We show on... WFN, the World Fishing Network, and American Heroes Network, which is the old military channel. Sure. So we're on about a dozen different networks, uh, uh, you know, mostly Saturdays and Sundays, but uh, I think NBC Sports runs on a Friday. But uh, but we're, we'll we'll be on television more than ever next year. <laughs> well, it sounds like uh, if they can't find out what you're doing, they just ain't looking hard enough, now, right? <laughs> we're, we're, we're out there. We're, we're everywhere. I just I spoke at a big church in uh, Lake Charles, uh, Louisiana, Louisiana. Tuesday night this week, so uh, we're, we, we run around the country just like always. Jimmy Houston, I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate to spend some time with our audience here in Southern California. I know you're going to be speaking to a lot of people here at Anglers Marine. They're going to be bringing back some great memories, but thank you for the memories that you've shared with us, and I can only tell our listeners, we just didn't even scratch the surface. <laughs> <laughs> We've had fun. I appreciate you. Thank you, Jimmy. Hey, uh, you're listening to Ron Real Radio on AM 540 or at com. Well, that's it for tonight. I hope you enjoyed the interviews. Stan, Wendy, and I, we will be back next Sunday night with another live show. So I want to thank Jorge and the AM 540 Studios for putting everything together. Also, our local producer, Ben Harvey, for editing and making everything sound right and making us sound a lot better than we really are. And always, in memory of Big Tuna Bill and Eddie McEwen, the guys that left us this legacy, which is Rod and Reel Radio, 
We want to thank you, the listening audience, for staying tuned with us tonight. We hope you have a great week. Get out there on the water. We're going to have a great week of fishing. We look forward to seeing you on the water. For now, we're out. You guys have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday night.